Hi everyone, welcome back. This is V. This is Tiana. And this is Fates and Furies. This episode, we're going to be talking about the next lovely creation myth of Aphrodite. Also known as the ruling planet of Venus, home to the astrological signs Taurus and Libra. A little bit of some updated information about Hesiod. He was born in Azkra, a small farming village in central Greece, and was around Mount Helicon, known as the home of the muses, or the nine goddesses, who do the um, inspiring of music, song, and dance, the whole shindig. I know you've probably heard the opening line of the Odyssey, which is, tell me muse, right? Or yeah. sing to me, Muse. I usually hear sing to me, sing to me, or something like that. Yeah, and they were also the ones, according to one of my classes, they gave. Did you say Hesiod, right? Yeah. Yeah, they gave Hesiod the. Um, I don't know if it was like gift of intelligence or, or like prophecy or stuff like that, but that's how he was able to advise Percy's the whole um, shebang about like what to do during the seasons and everything. Okay. Um, basically, like, can be considered a hero because he saved his village with all this knowledge on how to please the gods and survive the year. I wish I knew how to survive the year. That would be super cool. (laughs) I'm looking for my own modern Hesiod. He kind of gets his start when his father dies. So so Hesiod's father dies, and he has a brother, um, Perseus. As Tiana mentioned in the first episode, the father, uh, or the, like, the whole letter to his brother thing, in the first episode, who blows all of his inheritance and tries to take um, Hesiod's by bringing him to trial, which is kind of crazy. Modern day sibling rivalry. I feel like this could be like a saga, like the Kardashians. Oh, it definitely could. And being an older sibling, I understand his pain and having to tell his brother everything on how to do and what to do. I know. I know. I'm an older sibling too. Keeping up with Hesiod. <laughs> Did you okay. have a family last name? I think that's what I wanted to, I was thinking about it and I could not find <laughs> a last name. I was like, wait, I don't know. You said, who, I wish I knew their last name so I could say keeping up with the Hesiods. But yes, so the trial is, um, the outcome is unknown. Pretty shit, brother. Yeah. Hopefully he took his advice. I'm hoping, <laughs> yeah, that nothing happened. So Hesiod eventually travels to Caucasus at some point. He's later kind of like, wow, I'm good at writing and competes <laughs> in a poetry contest in honor of Amphidamus. That's what I would say, yeah. Yeah. A king of Caucasus. He may have recited his theogony, but there's no way to tell. But he places first. Little else is known about Hesiod, and he may even be fictitious. Um, or he could have been a cult figure that um, around whom a local guild of poets arose. Also, it's important to mention that a cult in ancient Greece is not the same as a cult nowadays. It was simply a specified religious group. Like, there is no state religion in Christianity, Islam, or Judaism. Um, Not to mention, I think it would be a lot more difficult, um, considering that they were polytheistic rather than mm-hmm. monotheistic like we are now. Exactly. So, when you're thinking of a cult... You, Do it's, not think Charles Manson. No, <laughs> no. There, there's none of, none of that happening. Uh, we are... Uh, recording today in an open space so you may be picking up some audio we're working on trying to find a better location for this but low budget it happens okay so the next part of our little series on origins is right after uranus's castration and it is when in the theogony 
you know, Aphrodite is created. <laughs> so, and she actually gets her name from the literal way she was created because the term like white sea foam is known as Aphros. Really? Yeah. I actually did. I need to stop saying <laughs> this is the whole thing that happened last time. Like, really, Tiana? Yeah. Really? That's what it says in my translation. A white, a white foam, like parentheses Aphros arose from deathless flesh, and it also has to be like. It's so urgent to know that, like, she was not born a baby. No. And that is why she, she represents a, adult love, romance, and, like, sex. I, I also love the birth of Venus painting, as we're talking about. Um, it's done by Italian artist Sandro Botticelli. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Two semesters of Italian really coming through right now. <laughs> And I have zero of them. Instead, I'm taking ancient Greek, which will 100% help me in the future. Actually, it, it, it actually might, but it will. But everyone's always asking me. Why? Why? <laughs> and I have to give them a long explanation as to <laughs> yeah. why. I have to, ju- I have to always qualify my interest. A long story short is always long. <laughs> it is. Maybe, okay, so the Birth of Venus painting was made maybe in the mid 1480s, and it depicts the goddess Venus or Aphrodite as we know her if we're talking in if we're talking about ancient greek so some of our viewers may not know that the greek god names are different than the roman god names they're basically the same thing Mm -hmm. they just have different names because the romans are have this insatiable need to be cooler yeah which is why all our planets are named after the roman equivalents mars uh, mercury venus i actually don't earth gaia right Mm-hmm. Yeah, then Jupiter. Yeah, and so we have Aphrodite as Venus. So this painting depicts her after on the shore after her birth, where she's emerged as Tiana said, fully grown. So I don't remember if the painting had arrows in the picture. No. Okay. That's something they probably could have done because in my um, in my translated book, it says Eros accompanied her and beautiful desire. Wait, did Eros have a si- sibling? He actually had seven <laughs> to mention. So Eros was one of the first ones born along, born alongside or like already like existed before Aphrodite even, representing romantic and passionate love. But a lot of people don't know that there are seven others that represent his siblings. There's Philia, which is intimate and authentic friendship. Basically, like if you want to like consider someone your platonic soulmate or stuff like that, you would consider it coming from Philia. There's Ludus, which is playful, flirtatious love. Um, usually non-committal, I would c- consider. Storage, which is unconditional familial love, stuff you'll get from your parents, grandparents, like anyone con- you consider family. Philly, you should representing self-love. Some of you may have her by your side or some of you may not. Sorry. You're, you getting, you're getting there if you don't. <laughs> believe, we'll, I believe we'll it. Meet we'll meet her eventually. Pragma, which is committed and companionate love. Usually those that, um, I guess those can be considered soulmates as well, but I would consider that usually long-lasting marriages, like people who are basically made for one another. I don't know if I want to consider uh, MGK and Megan. Stop. <laughs> Maybe they are, maybe. And then agape, which is empathetic and universal love. It kind of like transcends normal romantic love. It's like love that's... Pragma or agape? Agape. Yeah. It's like love that is so all-consuming that it's not necessarily... It's like just above romantic love, too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we talked about that in one of my philosophy classes um, where we talked about God and like he, well, I don't want to say he because, you know, God doesn't even have a body. You can try using they. I will, yeah. Um, well, that's what my, that's what I've been challenging myself to start doing. Yeah, because with God, um, basically our teacher talked about how everyone experiences God and that's why they also experience agape because God gives everybody that universal love that they need. So if we're talking about Aphrodite's physical appearance, which is, I happen to really love Rick Riordan's idea of how beauty is subjective and how she would appear different to everyone based on what they think, what they considered beautiful. I love that. I don't even want to, yeah, because I mean, we all know Aphrodite is, I mean, well, they, 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 I mean, they were Greeks, so Mm -hmm. everything is going to be like westernized, but in white, and it's just, it's upsetting to talk about the descriptions to say, yes, the embodiment of love was a white, tall, skinny woman, and... Well, you see in so many, um, statues of her that she is, like, usually on the plumper side, like, she has body rolls and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's just because, like, the whole... True. The whole stigma of women not being... Because it was better to have, because if you were skinny, it, it was that you were poor yeah if you're like really skinny is that you're poor if you and got then, a lot of skin on you you can like you're able to uh, bear a child and you're, you're eating better because you have money to eat and yeah so i'm not exactly sure when the whole you need to be stick 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 skinning what am i saying <laughs> i'm not sure when the whole idea of you being like stick thin came around i know that the idea of the women's like physical their ideal body type has just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller since it definitely peaked around the 1920s with the whole flapper outfits Mm. i think that's what they're called because basically you're just dressed as like a box rectangle or whatever you're not supposed to show off any figure but like what you can see with legs and arms like you just have to (laughs) got it (laughs) I love it. I'm I'm continuously wishing that I looked like a flapper girl one day. Really? One day. They scare me. Tiana, you have the body type. I hate to break I it to you. I don't. Oh, okay. I would be too big. <laughs> okay. <I'm> too tall. <laughs> you are a little too tall. In real life, Tiana is a giant. Yeah. And I am an ant. I'm six foot. I feel like I'm the snail chasing you. You know? <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And if you don't know, there's no time to explain. Figure it out. Just look it up on Tumblr or something. I think I found it there. Immortal snail. (laughs) Okay. And then, ooh, getting into her relationships. There's plenty of those. Starting with Hephaestus and Aries. I don't know about you. Everyone always... I don't know. To me, I feel bad for Aphrodite. Everyone always gets pissed at her for cheating on Hephaestus, even though their marriage was literally forced onto by Hera, because Hera felt so bad that Hephaestus was so ugly and no one wanted him, and so she's like, fine, let's give her, let's give him to the goddess of love. I'm like, well, you can't literally contain a goddess of love. Yeah, and I'm sure she was like, yo, 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 I was being single. I was having a good time. Why? (laughs) Yeah. It makes me, like, no offense to Hephaestus, like, sorry, you're just so unlovable, but I don't think, like... I've never heard, like, a really, I've never heard a good story about him that's made me think that you are any better than the average man. Yeah. I think it only, like, I think his physical appearance only represents, like, who he is on the inside, literally. Like, imagine 
being born so ugly your mom throws you off the <laughs> Olympus. That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and like I know we need him because he's god of um bl- like blacksmith and crafts or something. Yeah, he's a, he's a crafty man. Yeah, that's all he's good for. That's all I'm good for. <laughs> no. I'm a crafty person. Okay, uh, so also she's kind of the sole reason the Trojan War happens. Yeah, <laughs> Aphrodite. Oh my god, her and. Um, I never understood that. Why are you promising someone that they absolutely cannot have? It's it's fine. I mean, they did. End, Paris did end up getting Helen through like literal force. Yeah, that is that's a, that is <laughs> an episode for later. Yeah, I always felt bad. I'm like, okay, you probably don't like your current husband, but like if you like Paris, I feel like it's only a sense of Stockholm Syndrome where it's like, okay, I guess he's not that bad. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the goddesses that aren't aphrodite but are similar that um probably either predated or came after or just a few of them that because a lot of a lot of different polytheistic religions had goddesses of love so i'll let you take that away okay so the current aphrodite that we know that is a goddess of love and sex is actually dated to only about 900 bc there is no Um, evidence coming from the Dark Ages as there was like almost any but we do know that she uh, is not coming from the Mycenaean age but there is the Phoenician goddess goddess Ashtarte who is the goddess of sex, fertility, the planet Venus and war actually dating to around 1450 to 1200 BC and appearing in the port city of Ugarit thanks to the Phoenician settlement on the island of Kithera which is actually where Aphrodite's oldest temple resides and where she actually came from when she landed on the sea from Uranus's um, castration and the sea foam. But Ashtarte is not only Ishtarte, she is also Ishtar, who is more Sumerian and Mesopotamian, arriving, appearing earlier than Ashtarte did, coming in around 4000 BC and gaining popularity in the, 23, yeah, the 2300s, who is goddess of pretty much everything that Ashtarte was, including war and combat. Known for her story of retrieving her boyfriend Tammuz from the underworld and coming into conflict with the queen of the underworld, Erish Kigal. This, Aphrodite and Persephone don't necessarily have explicit connections to Ishtar and Erish Kigal, but there's a story where Aphrodite um, finds the orphan infant Adonis and hands him over to Persephone to raise because she's not so much as good of a mother as Persephone would be, despite being the queen of the underworld. And once Adonis is a full adult and considered very attractive, the two goddesses get into an argument over who exactly can have him as a lover. Yeah, That's so so gross. I never liked that trope where it's like, oh, I raised them and now they're old enough for me to date them. No, no, no. That is is actually called grooming that is yeah. just called grooming yeah let's watch out for that guy. watch out for that please <laughs> please don't raise someone and then yeah. say great they're mine oh, yeah every god is at fault for something none of them are perfect fortunately kind of which i'm grateful for like i'm glad that gods can have flaws because the idea of a perfect like un clean one is yes. just too weird. So we're going to go over a few of Aphrodite's myths and there isn't a whole lot to go over from the Theogony that Hesiod wrote. Basically, Uranus is castrated 
and his remains go into the sea, and the semen and the sea foam mix, and out emerges Aphrodite, a full-grown woman and goddess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of basically it. The whole point yeah. of what has happened here. It's kind of like it is a cool entrance, but also very underwhelming. Under- <laughs> she's, she's like, like, "Hi, I'm here." And what are I'm you? here. <laughs> I just came from the sea. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Thank you." Appreciate me and all. Please sit fine. down, please. I'm. <laughs> Yeah, no need to give me any applause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she'll get all her attention later in the day. Exactly. Truly, it's like a it's a slow introduction because then she comes back later. I just think that it's interesting that she's one of the only. Well, there are a few different. Uh, there are a few other gods, but one of the few. She doesn't. I, I just think it's interesting that she isn't one of the ones that are trapped inside Kronos, which we will get to next episode. Yeah, that always. That was always the weird part. Like. She's. A, is it like the main seven? Yeah, and then she wasn't one of them. What was she doing then? Just chilling. Just chilling. Having sex. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, existing somewhere else without them. Good for her. Honestly, <laughs> to avoid I think that familial problem. What we'll see in these next uh, few myths is that Aphrodite is incredibly powerful. Yes, people underestimate her just because she's related to love. Yes, and I just think it's interesting that she wasn't queen of all the gods herself because she had she has so much power. She was created like without anyone else, and she's so strong that she can in, that she can even influence and change God's love. Exactly. Herself. Yeah. So I think that's the most interesting. We're starting off in one of the Homeric hymns to Aphrodite. Basically, Aphrodite is born, like I said, from the castrated semen remains of Uranus. So after Aphrodite's born, and somehow when she is reacquainted with the rest of the gods, according to the Homeric hymns, they open up describing Aphrodite as golden. I would love to be described as golden. Mm-hmm. But Athena takes no pleasure in the things that Aphrodite does. This is kind of mentioned randomly. They talk about her relationship with a few other gods, but Athena's is kind of talked about a lot. Athena is truly a woman for men, a pick-me girl, if you may. She does not appreciate any of the things Aphrodite does because Athena is more interested in war and men and blood. Was she a virgin goddess as well? Yes. Okay, because I knew Artemis was. I couldn't remember. And Athena, yes. So she can make gods and mortals, Aphrodite, who I'm talking about, fall in love with anyone. And she could arguably be one of the most powerful goddesses. I mean, she can destroy people's marriages, has the power to make you extremely happy or extremely devastated. There's literally no in-between with her. (laughs) You're never just content. Yeah, if she has somebody that she shipped with another person, she will ship them together. If you, if she doesn't like a couple, she will break them up. Tiana, I cannot believe you just exposed yourself like that using the word ship. <laughs> that's that's who I am. <laughs> okay. Well, what'd you say? A pairing? Sure. A pairing. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you're not who she wants in her eyes, she will do anything to get who she actually wants. Wishes. She's very devious because not only does she do it She's just off of, off of a whim, she does it because she thinks strategically it will work better for her and her future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is... She's just the ultimate power move. Yeah. Love her. Impulsive, too. Kind of like love, honestly, the way yeah. people just get thrown into it. So Zeus is... So after that, since you know, all the gods are being influenced by her. It says that she likes to laugh a lot, a lot in these Homeric hymns, but she does like to laugh at all the gods because she makes them fall in love. She makes them fall in love with mortals. And it, she has this type of power to humiliate other gods for that. And, uh, they really don't like that, especially Zeus, the king of the gods. So Zeus, 
although she has power over him, he's somehow able to have power over her. And she has Aphrodite, sorry, Zeus has Aphrodite fall for a mortal man named Anchises. And he is a cowherder on Mount Ida. So Aphrodite falls for him immediately on sight. She treks back to Cyprus where she, you know, lights some incense and anoints her body in oil. Uh, But it's also an oil that makes gods immortal, although I already thought in Greek mythology that the oil... Mm. Well, that they were already immortal, which I'm sure they are. It just might be an an oil for the immortals. Yeah, I didn't catch that at first, but I'm guessing maybe, like, it makes her human body immortal. Oh, suppose yeah. Because I was reading this, and I said, what? Yeah, I was like... Is it Homer come again? <laughs> yeah. So she gets all dolled up, puts on her gold jewelry, rushes to Troy, and arrives on Mount Ida. A ton of animals follow her to this husband's house because apparently she's so hot and sexy. So she not only has power over people, she also has power over all of the animals. Snow White's got They pair off and have sex. The animals do. And leave her alone after this happens. I I guess if you really want people to shoo animals to shoo away so you can, you know... Just distract them with Just distract them, I guess. But basically, she finds... And Kaisi's being all cool boy-esque, playing his lyre, completely unaware that this hot-ass girl is in front of him. And when he looks up, she appears as an unwed maiden. Because I, I feel like you can appear unwed, and you can appear wed, <laughs> apparently. Maybe, like, the clothes that she was wearing, like, white for purity Maybe, or yeah. something. Did she even wear clothes when she walked out? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, she wore clothes. So he sees her and is like, whoa, are you a nymph, babe? Because you're the only nymph I see. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm done. I'm sorry. Um, he says, Whoa, are you a nymph? I'll set up altars and sacrifice to you. You're so beautiful. You must be immortal. Blah, blah. And Aphrodite, quick delight, says, No, no, no. I'm born from a mortal maiden. And she makes up some elaborate lie about her family and says a Trojan nurse raised her so she speaks the language well. And Archifontes, which is an epithet for Hermes, so basically we're talking about Hermes here, says that in the bed of Anchises, I will be called your wedded wife and bear your children. So then Anchises desires her and says, not one of the gods or a mortal is going to stop me from having sex with you here right now, not even Apollo. And this whole thing is hilarious to me because Anchises is trying to convince this innocent girl, who is also Aphrodite, to sleep with him while he's actually being seduced. It's a whole story filled with not informed consent because, dude, know your fries. Informed consent is part of consent, and (laughs) so it's definitely kind of gross and not consensual-ish. So they have sex. Yeah, after that. And Aphrodite reveals after that she is Aphrodite. And he becomes ashamed. He fears impotence, which, you know, is kind of having a strong penis and uh, the will to resist. Um, And I guess that will to resist equals strength. And he's worried sleeping with a goddess will make him weak. And he also feels hubris or fears hubris. And this is an often anxiety that I think men have after sleeping with goddesses in a lot of mythology. I always thought, like, and learned that um, hubris... Huber, oh, hubris applies to, like, everything. Yeah. But like, when men sleep with goddesses especially, they fear it. Because it could be like, oh, you thought you were so hot that you could... That a goddess was obtainable to you. But there's also, um, when it comes to, like, gods, uh, there's, like, excessive pride and self-confidence where it's like, oh, no, I can beat you, like... 
The oh yeah universe is a whole reason why there's yes. so many human downfalls like exactly um, what was it uh arachne and uh athena that will be a whole other episode a whole single episode <laughs> i'd love that story that's one of my favorites that that one upsets me the most i think because <laughs> we'll talk about it later <laughs> i'm leaving you on the edge currently but so he feels hubris he's also another thing that often happened is that partners of gods like their husbands or wives would punish the mortal that the god slept with instead of the god itself so that's also another big fear but Mm -hmm. because aphrodite seduced him not he seduced her there is no reason for him to fear hubris or impotence at least she takes on that responsibility she's like yeah i kind of realized my mistake here definitely (laughs) and she's like um no you idiot you're gonna be fine and you're gonna have a son who's gonna be the most noble of men and his name will be aeneas and then she said that she has grief for sleeping with the mortal man so that's why his name will be aeneas because um Ainos is a greek word meaning dread so it's kind of connecting that and it's kind of like wow you just you just wanted to sleep i guess it's yeah. so i guess she's self-aware that like does she regret sleeping with him? i kind of does it's like feel, waking up she's like morning like, after like ooh, yeah, i don't feel she, great about this one yeah she feels bad maybe the spell like zeus casted wore off or something like that or she's just or she's just self-aware enough to know that sleeping <laughs> with immortal people are gonna laugh at her for that and now the poor Aeneid is like literally just a story of dread <laughs> <laughs> story of dread if you you look at it now you're like i know what this means yeah. <laughs> i'm like oh this clicks <laughs> sorry so there is also another homeric hymn uh we don't know who the author is i don't think we ever will we don't know who the author is also for any of these homeric hymns yeah they're just called homeric hymns and then sometimes we just kind of say it's homer but it's most likely some maybe not maybe some unknown man on an unknown island (laughs) but this is a lot shorter and probably like a lot less known just because there is no actual plot it starts off the same way with the upbringing uh out of the sea foam this group called the horai accepting her and showing showering her with gifts the second that she steps on the land dressing up as they would themselves more in hopes that they would become more in hopes that aphrodite would become their father's wife which the horai is a personification of the seasons worshipped in an attic cult but they are also treated as the daughters of zeus and themis who is a different wife and one before hera actually and that's literally the only thing about the homeric hymn which is funny to see another story following aphrodite getting trying in Aphrodite being tried to get married or tied to another man. Like, first we have a Hephaestus, and now we have the Horai's fathers. I'm like, this poor No one is just letting her make her own decisions. Just let her be polyamoristic. Because that's obviously what she wants to be. (laughs) Yeah. And it works for some people, and it doesn't work for some others, but you gotta let people make their own decision. Mm -hmm. I also love, like, the idea of her relationship with Ares the most, because it's like, she saw this man that everyone is too scared of just because he represents war, and she's like, I can fix him. (laughs) You do love an enemies to lovers. I do. It's just so sweet. I'm like, this man who is mad at everything except, like, the person he loves. I always like that. Oh, wow. 
in real life that would be called that would be toxic yeah don't listen to tiana no no i am not (laughs) (laughs) tiana is saying tiana is not saying to get into an abusive relationship i recognize that all of this stuff is fictitious and that is exactly why i like it (laughs) okay okay in reality i am never nearing someone who represents this (laughs) no in real life i think i would be terrified of aries we'll have more i finished the first Homer came to Aphrodite right before we went into the whole section about Ganymede, so we will be chatting about him in a later episode. And yeah, we hope you liked what you listened to and that you'll be back for another episode. And our next episode will be about the gods and their little um, reverse C-section. The killing of their dad? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It just sounded like it was right, but I think it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the sources for this episode are encyclopedia.com, Hesiod's Theogony, Neo-Homeric Hymns, and the Hymn to Aphrodite. Followed with another video by Miscellaneous Myths. I'm not sure what the actual channel is called, but if you look up Miscellaneous Myth Aphrodite, it will be the first one with a little animated screen cap. Lovely. Okay, and if you want to find us, you can find the podcast Instagram. We have an Instagram now. And it is at Fates and Furies Pod. Or you can follow me on Instagram at VAbrahamX. And you can find Tiana on Twitter at Tiana Lazik with no J and no A in my last name. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.